So it's the first Sunday in Advent and our reading is taken from uh, Matthew chapter 1 and the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. And it's the first reading after the end of the Old Testament and uh, we're in the church, uh, if you've been following it, been following the E100 and the the Old Testament readings, and so for the last 10 weeks we've been looking at uh, various Old Testament stories and characters and readings. And so it it moves nicely into now this reading. And it's the very start of Matthew's account of the Gospel of Jesus. How would you start... If somebody asks you to start, well, what's this Jesus all about? How would you start? Well, if you look at the other Gospels, Mark just went straight in. And that's typical of Mark's Gospel. He didn't mess about it. It's the shortest of the Gospel. And he just went straight in. And in Mark's Gospel, you won't find uh, any of the details about shepherds and, and angels and all of that. He just straight in with the message, the good news. Luke, Dr. Luke, wanted to give an orderly account of, uh, of what had gone on. And so he did his research, and this is where we get the bulk of our, our story of, uh, of, of Christmas. And we can read through that, and the shepherds, and the angels, and, and, uh, and that. John, well... He looked at the big picture and how Jesus was there right from the start and and, uh, and how Jesus came as as a light. And he looked in this sort of big picture, a dramatic start. And then Matthew, the reading that we'll have. To our ears, a very curious start of the gospel of Jesus because as you'll hear and you may know that he starts his gospel off with a a genealogy with uh, the family tree if you like of Jesus and so if you're new to the faith or if you're trying to share some to somebody it's not perhaps the best place to start but what I want to try and draw out today is some of the meaning of that opening 17 verses, which I think fits in very nicely with what we've been doing over the last 10 weeks about the Old Testament. And, and hopefully, some of the names, and some of the names which are unpronounceable, aren't they, David and Edna, um, who are going to give this reading, hopefully, as you hear some of the names, if you've been looking at the Old Testament, some of them will be more familiar to you and some of the names will mean something. Oh yeah, that, that's about that. And, and this is just uh, to encourage you that it was worth studying the Old Testament. So, let's enjoy or endure, but um, uh, hopefully uh, enjoy hearing from the opening of Matthew's Gospel. Thank you. I think you've got the, the first reading, haven't you, Edna? Please come out. 
And, uh, and the second reading will just follow on. We don't want to break the, the flow. Remember the scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. And so let God speak to you through, uh, through this. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Narshan, Narshan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I'm not sure that that was quite right. It is very well. The second half is delightful. Never again will I tell a joke at a sermon. This is what happens the week later. Matthew 1, 7 to 17. Bear with me. If anybody knows how to pronounce these, then sorry in advance. (laughs) Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Eladuram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Yes. And uh, just, I'll point out other things later, but here it says, and his brothers at the time of the exile. And I think uh, the E100 was really good, and, uh, but uh, I don't think it perhaps emphasised this, uh, this exile, um, uh, maybe sufficiently. And, and you were preaching last week on Daniel and the, the lion's den, and, and Daniel was... Um, sent off one of the uh, the people who was sent off in exile, and and uh, the Babylonians when they came in took the the, the best of the uh, the people and took them into exile, and it it's a great theme in the Old Testament how uh, the uh, that could have been the end of the story, but then the the nation was restored, and that they returned from exile. And this is, is drawn out in this. So that's just a little snippet about what's included in this reading. I'll let you carry on now, then. Thank you. <clears throat> so 
So from uh, verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jekoanai, the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abidud, Abidud, the father of Elkaim, Elkaim, the va- father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Elazar, Elazar, the father of Matham, Matham, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, both of you. Now, perhaps many people have done your, your family tree, and uh, it's interesting, isn't it, to, uh, to do it. But is that the way that you would start the gospel of Jesus? Well, you see, for the Jews, and Matthew was uh, writing, particularly aiming at the Jews, it was very important. It was more than just interesting. It uh, was important to show the authenticity of Jesus by showing his descendants. These genealogies were kept by the Sanhedrin. And in fact, Herod the Great, who was only a half-Jew, he was not in the official genealogies, and this didn't impress him. And so he ordered that all of the records be destroyed so that nobody else could prove that they had a better pedigree than he did. So important was it in those days. So this opening of Matthew's Gospel was of great significance to the Jews and uh, and any Jews now who read this will see that significance Maybe it's a little bit similar, like if we were going to a solicitor or a doctor or somebody like that, we'd look maybe for letters after their name and whether they're, they're part of that, uh, you know, they've got qualifications. That might be in some way similar to what this was. And so Jesus' genealogy, genealogy was partly for validation that this was somebody that was important. But mainly because Matthew wanted to draw attention to the links with Abraham and David in the Bible. Can we have the first verse up, please, Colin? So it starts off, the very first words of the New Testament, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Remembering Christ wasn't his surname, it was Jesus who was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that they were expecting, the one that is to become the Son of God. So a record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That was the, uh, the main emphasis. 
And so it's structured in such a way. It's not meant to be a comprehensive genealogy. And, uh, and some of the, uh, the fathers aren't the biological fathers, but it's meant to show the link with David and Abraham. Two major characters from the Old Testament, two uh, characters that we were looking at as we explored the, uh, the Old Testament. Let's look at Abraham first. And there we've got Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Now, if you're familiar with the story or hear it now, that uh, God made a covenant with Abraham about God's blessing upon Abraham and his descendants. And in this genealogy, what Matthew is highlighting is that that covenant is still alive and fulfilled in Jesus. So it's very important for the Jews and important for us too. And in the story of Abraham, you may recall the fact that he was told by God to take his only son, Isaac, to the region of Moriah and to sacrifice him there. How could God command someone to sacrifice their own son. Anybody heard of John chapter 3, verse 16? You should have done, because David had it last week. As, uh, yes. And Brian, tell us what John 3, 16 is. Thank you. Don't be worried, by the way. I did prime Brian. I wouldn't <laughs> single out somebody and say, yeah, do it. But I know that that's one of Brian's favorite verses. And for good reason. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. See the links, Abraham and Isaac, God and his son, Jesus. And so in that story of Abraham and Isaac, early in the morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and headed to the region of Moriah, where hundreds of years later, Jerusalem would be built. Jesus rode into that Jerusalem on a donkey. Isaac had to carry the wood for the sacrifice. What did Jesus have to carry when he went off to Calvary? But the cross of wood. Isaac said to his dad, where is the lamb to be sacrificed? And Abraham said, God will provide. And then God stopped Abraham killing Isaac and provided a ram and the sacrifice was made. That's how they did things in those days. And in Jesus, God did provide the lamb. Jesus is sometimes called the lamb of God. The lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. You remember the... Um, uh, presents that the king gave to, uh, to Jesus, gold, 
frankincense and myrrh, myrrh that, uh, this, uh, that was put on for dead people. You remember when we come to the Christingle about the, uh, the red ribbon, remembering the death of, of Christ, that this is one of the reasons why God sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so, it's important to remember, as we think of this Sunday, the practical hope for the bereaved, that there is hope in eternal life when we and others die because of Christmas. So it's important that, yes, at the end of the service, we'll remember those who have died and we'll, uh, we'll put those prayer tags on here and just remember them before God because we miss people. We do. I will uh, put a prayer tag, as I do each year, for my dad, who's, uh, who's died, and, and in fact, his funeral was on the 23rd of December, I know what it's like to be bereaved and to bereaved at, uh, at Christmas time. But I also know what it's like to know the hope of eternal life because of Christmas. And so bereavement is no reason not to celebrate Christmas. In fact, although it may seem harsh, Bereavement is one of the, the great reasons to celebrate Christmas. Maybe not in, uh, in all of the, uh, the frills and, uh, and stuff that uh, is around, but in the real underlying message that it's Jesus' birth, Jesus, God's Son. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so reminded of the Isaac and Abraham story, we're reminded of the Jesus story. And we need to be reminded that we can share that story to others who perhaps are in need of hope. Just have a look at your card a moment. If you've not got one, make sure you get... We've, like I say, we've got... Well, we've got about... 3,000 odd spare, so don't skim. They were just cheaper to get more than. But, but on here it's got the birth of Jesus brings hope. And then uh, inside, there's, uh, inside these houses there's different pictures. I think it's very clever. Thank you, Tim, for doing this. And uh, I won't tell you the message because I think it has lots of different messages. But that people are in need of hope, and each week through Advent, we'll be sharing a different, just a different aspect of hope. But this week, it's about hope for the bereaved. And Jesus brings that hope, hope for eternal life, and hope even in bereavement of hope and joy and peace because Jesus was born, because Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was expected. That's verse 1 and 2 of the genealogy. 
Shall we go through each of the other characters now? <laughs> Maybe not, but we'll go through uh, some of them. Um, Abraham, the father of Isaac, we've done that. Isaac, the, uh, the father of Jacob. Um, we looked at uh, Jacob, Jacob and sons, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, didn't we? Should we go on to the next one? Jacob, the father of Judah and, uh, and his, uh, his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, normally on these genealogies, you didn't have women, but there, there are three women on, on here, one of which is this um, Tamar. You may or may not know her story. I'll tell it briefly. You can read more in Genesis 38 if you want to. Tamar married Judah's son, had the strange name of Ur, E-R. That would have been an easier one, wouldn't it, if he'd have been there. But sadly, he died. And then, uh, as it was a custom in those days, uh, she married another of Judah, um, Judah's sons, whose name was Onan. And there was quite a story in this, we haven't got time to go into all of that, but he also died. And then Tamar got dressed as a prostitute and had sex with her father-in-law, Judah. She became pregnant, had twins, Perez and Zira. And so, don't worry if you've got skeletons in your family tree. There's plenty here. And don't worry if, oh, my past dictates my future. That is not true. And it's interesting that Matthew deliberately included that story, Tamar, here. And then it, it can go on. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, let's go on. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, etc. And then, Solomon, the father of Boaz. Now, you may have, remember, we, we read this one. Boaz, and we did it in Messy Church, in, in fact, whose, uh, whose mother was, uh, was Rahab, and, uh, and Boaz, the father of Obad, whose mother was Ruth. And there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to the story of Ruth, this, um, uh, this foreigner who was uh, then uh, um, uh, part of Jesus' family tree. And you remember her, her loyalty to her mother-in-law, maybe, and, uh, and how she is an important part of the family tree. Rahab, going back up to the top, verse 5, you may remember when the spies came in and um, into the city, and she was the one who protected the, uh, the spies, and so she was saved. Another prostitute. And, uh, and so it's interesting, well, I find it interesting, hope you do too, to, uh, to see how these people were included in the family tree. So let us not be dictated by our past and let us see what God can do. The story uh, then goes on, if we can have the next slide. 
and we come on to David. Now, David, we spent several weeks uh, over, over David. Let's just explore David a, a little bit more. Um, uh, David was born in Bethlehem. And David, like Abraham, there was a covenant uh, with David. And da- the covenant with David was that the Messiah, the Christ, would come from David's line. And that's why this is so important. He was born in Bethlehem. And so this is a test for you now. But at the carols by candlelight, we'll sing some carols, one of which will be, O little town of... You don't need to put your hand up now, by the way. The children aren't here. and um, So uh, let's try it again. O little town of... And then and we'll start the, uh, the service, Carols by Candlelight, with Once in Royal David City. David City, yes. And the reason is because David was born in Bethlehem and uh, that Jesus follows that covenant hope that the Messiah, the Christ, would come from David's line. You remember the story of David and Goliath? When this great big giant of a guy, Goliath, was confronting, um, uh, well, the Israelite people, and he he said, come on, fight me if you think you're hard enough, or words to that effect. He doesn't quite say that. Nobody would come, but in the end, David came as a, as a, um, a, a, well, a boy or a teenager, and he didn't fight him in conventional ways, with the sword and, uh, and the shield, but defeated that seemingly undefeatable Goliath. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus, not with conventional weapons, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, defeated the devil in the desert. Do you remember the temptations? And the The devil left him until an opportune time which came at the crucifixion. And at the crucifixion, Jesus quoted a psalm, a psalm of David. You know the 23rd psalm, perhaps the most famous of psalms, Psalm of David, and we looked at that. The psalm before, the 22nd psalm, begins with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words that Jesus used on the cross. You see the links here? It's like David shared the links between Moses and the New Testament. And then that 22nd Psalm ends with, For he has done it. And Jesus was the only one who could end the crucifixion with in first person by saying it is finished in other words he had finished it and Jesus died on the cross to forgive us from our sins so that there's a hope of eternal life and then he rose again and in a moment we'll sing because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fears are gone 
And so you see the link between the Old Testament and the New. It was worth studying the Old Testament. It's still worth studying it. And, it, and you see that Jesus came to bring hope. Hope through his birth and then his life and then his death and his resurrection. Let's skip down to verse 17, shall we? And you all look relieved over that. And this is then the end of the reading that we had. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. And so again, Matthew just wanted to emphasize Abraham and David and Jesus the Christ. I hope that I've made that clear to you today. You see, the birth of Jesus wasn't just a whim that God just sat up one day and said, oh, well, why don't we send Jesus? It follows through, through the Old Testament, through into this time of Advent. So as we start this time of Advent, I just encourage you to use this Advent to to dwell and to think, to read the, the stories, to read the Bible, to, to, to pray, to say, Lord, what does this message mean to me? I mentioned earlier that there was that survey that 30% of children didn't know whose birthday it was at Christmas. Now you can argue about these statistics. I don't know how these questions are asked. But another survey said... And that sounds like one of these game shows, doesn't it? A survey said 50% of people interviewed didn't think that the Christmas story of Jesus and all of that was relevant to their Christmas. 50% of people said it's not relevant. So even if they know what the story is, it's not relevant. That, to me, is shocking and sad. Because they're missing out on so much good news that there is hope, there is joy, even if you missed out on Black Friday and didn't get your bargain, that there is hope because of Christmas. But has it sunk in with us, I wonder? Do we get so wrapped up with all of the other preparations? Or maybe, if I dare say it, wrapped up on this Sunday with... uh, with a sense of loss. Maybe we need to concentrate on the good that Jesus brought. And then perhaps we can share with others that this is good news and you're missing out if if you're ignoring the Christmas story. So invite people. May this be our season of invitation. And I'll just end with another statistic. A couple of years ago, a survey was done of seven different locations of all the major supermarkets as of the nature of the Christmas cards. They identified 6,500 Christmas cards were for sale, different Christmas cards. Can I ask you, how many of them had anything to do with the nativity story 
you three are excluded from this because I've already told you. 30%, just 30%. Is that right? It's actually lower than that. Sorry? 10%. We work it out. No, it's lower than that. 5%. I can't work it out, but I'm sure it must be lower than that, yes. It might be. I don't know the percentage. I just know the number of cards. So what number of cards? Very close. Yes, it was 36 cards. 36 cards out of 6,500. Sorry? Half a percent. Thank you. What sort of Christmas cards are you going to send this year? Could I challenge you? Now, you may have already bought them, and I don't want to get you to waste money, but maybe next year. But send a, a, a Christian Christmas card just to try and do something to, to proclaim. You know, Santa doesn't need any more publicity, or Robins don't need any more publicity, but Jesus does. And that's why it's important that we play our part in just proclaiming something of the gospel. Thank you for listening. I hope that some of these words have been helpful to us as we begin this season of Advent. During Advent, we 